Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, it's really lovely to be with you uh, this morning. I'm also very excited about this mic. I, I did say that if any of you are looking sleepy, I might go into some dance routines just to, just to wake us up. So I don't know if that's an encouragement or a warning, depending on your personality. Um, I uh, have been involved in St. John's uh, since January this year, and it's been really lovely getting to know um, lots of you. Um, and I am looking forward to getting to know those of you that I don't, um, don't know at the moment. Um, I thought before I start, I'll just tell you a few things about me. Um, so my uh, job is uh, quite complicated to explain, but I work on lots of different social projects that bring together church and government to look at how they can support vulnerable people in our communities. I love singing and dancing. Um, I uh, am also a, a big feeler and a big thinker. Um, I love being playful, being silly, and my favourite colour is pink. Um, so that is a little bit about me before we start. Um, I just want to give you a quick heads up that in the first um, sort of 10 minutes or so, I'm going to really briefly um, mention sexual assault and so if you need to nip out or if you want to skip if you're watching this online um, please do whatever you need to do um, to look after yourself um, so before I start I'm going to pray Lord Jesus I thank you for this morning I thank you for everyone in this room I thank you that we can come together to learn more about who you are and more about who we are. And Lord, I ask that um, as I speak this morning, that those things that are of you um, will go with us and anything that I say that is not of you, that that will fall away. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'll be with us in this time. Amen. So how are you this morning? Um, that's a question that we ask quite a lot um, in our day-to-day -day lives. You've probably asked some people here this morning, how are you? Um, a couple of months ago, one of my friends went on a, a kind of Instagram tirade uh, saying that she was really fed up of people at work always saying, how are you, very quickly, and then moving on into the body of the rest of their email. Um, and so... After she posted that, she had lots of tongue-in-cheek messages from her friends sending her sort of lots and very long emails asking her about how she was and saying that they valued her and they wanted to know how she was um, beyond just a cursory uh, quick introduction. Um, we ask this question a lot um, and we often do it out of politeness. Um, Often we do want to know sincerely how people are, but we do kind of want a fairly quick and a fairly concise answer. But sometimes it's really hard to give that. And I've found recently that when people say, how are you, Esther? I sort of go, uh, oh yeah, because <laughs> there is so much going on in my mind and in my heart and trying to concisely say how I am in a way that is fairly quick and neat and easy to explain is really difficult. So when I was asked to pick a psalm to talk about this morning, I thought I want to choose Psalm 4 
because I think that the writer in this situation would maybe struggle to answer the question, how are you? Because there is so much going on for him. My last year, for a variety of different reasons, has been a really difficult year. And I'm sure that I am not alone by any means um, in having experienced grief, worry about uh, sickness and the, the health of my family, um, mental health diagnoses, medication reviews, changes in jobs, in housing, in relationships. And more broadly, I know that I'm not the only one who feels overwhelmed by the climate crisis, who struggles with climate anxiety or um, who feels overwhelmed by the increasingly crippling impact of the cost-of-living crisis, particularly on vulnerable people. I feel concern over the future of our democracy, at the stress and the, um, the pressure that is being put on our public services. I find the world overwhelming and tiring and difficult right now. And perhaps you feel this too, in a personal way, or perhaps you feel this about uh, all the different things that are going on around us in our world, or I'm sure you have felt like that at some point in your life. I've had days where I felt so angry at wealth inequality, at the fact that we have millionaires in our country who are making more and more money, and we have people who are struggling to survive that we have politicians who have selfishly put their own prowess and their own power and influence above the welfare of people. And that we continue to make decisions that have a crippling impact on our planet and on people around the world. And last week, I uh, had a call from one of my best friends um, to tell me that she had experienced very serious sexual assault and she was going through a police investigation um, and she was understandably feeling incredibly low. And I listened to her and I did my best to kind of speak truth to her in that situation um, and give the practical help I, I could. And then I hung up and I cried. Hot and angry and aching tears that a human being could be so vile to another human being and trample on their value and their dignity. And when I read Psalm 4, I think I hear a similar voice. That the writer is saying, answer me God, have mercy on me, hear my prayer. He's in a desperate situation and he can't see a way out. This psalm might have been written by David at the time that his son Absalom rebelled against him. Um, so a man that he loves, his, his own son, um, suddenly betrays him, turns on him, and then David is fearing for his life. Or this might be written by uh, another writer talking about um, an attack or some kind of difficulty um, that they're going through. We don't know for sure the context of this, but we do know that this writer is overwhelmed and helpless in a world that feels unpredictable and scary. In verse two, he addresses uh, these adversaries, this kind of group of people who seem to be attacking him, who seem to be against him. 
Um, and uh, he asks these kind of series of searching questions, like how long will you keep lying? How long will these people keep saying something that isn't true? How long will they keep ridiculing me? How long will they be driven by emptiness and by delusion? And those words kind of vary a little bit between translations. And I hear in those questions some of that exasperation and that desperation that I have felt and that I think all of us have felt. Why are people in our world neglecting justice and goodness? Why are we making decisions that harm fellow humans and the planet? Why do things keep changing? Why is life hard and painful? This is a psalm of exasperation. But scholars find this psalm difficult to classify because it is a psalm of exasperation and lament and anger and frustration and desperation. But it's also a psalm of confidence and it's a psalm of declaration. And there are so many things uh, in this psalm that uh, that I wanted to talk about. Um, But I won't pick apart all of those things. Instead, I want us to specifically look at verse 6. So in verse 6, the psalmist writes, Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. I wonder if you recognize any parts of that phrase, let the light of your face shine on us. You might be thinking um, of uh, Numbers 6, of the, uh, the Israelite benediction, what is said by the Israelite priests over the Israelite people um, back in the time of Moses. So number six says, and we still use it as a blessing today, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And so in this context, despite his surroundings, despite what is going on for this psalmist, he looks up. He looks out to the bigger picture, to the bigger narrative, to his inheritance, to what he's been promised. And he says, Lord, I look up to you. Bless me here. Be with me here. Be present with me here. Later, he, um, or around that part of the psalm, he is, seems to be addressing a kind of a group of people who are desperate, who are, um, who are struggling um, in the context that he's in. Maybe people who um, are, were were pro-David being king and who are confused and uh, really struggling with with the idea that he's now running for his life. Um, And David, or the, the psalmist, says that these people are asking this question, who will give us prosperity? Who will give us abundance? Who will give us safety? Who will give us reassurance? And that question sounds so familiar, maybe not with those words, but the the sentiment of that question sounds very familiar to me. Who will give us prosperity? A new government? A new campaign for net zero? A better taxation system? Medication? A better job? A different relationship? I was at a seminar recently for work which was unpacking the government strategy to tackle loneliness. Um, And a lot of the conversation focused on the power of relationships to ease poverty, mental health challenges, and to aid long-term recovery from difficult events. So in other words, the more connected our communities are, the better equipped we are to deal with difficult things. 
um, and in a society that's become increasingly disconnected, we're not using this vital resource that we have uh, to be able to um, support ourselves. And so one of the panelists said um, this, like relationships, community connection, this is what will get us out of this mess. This is what will help us in this time when we're facing lots of challenges. And that's definitely not untrue. In fact, relationships and medication and uh, good governments and uh, policies to reach net zero are all really good things. And we should be using the resources that we have and we should be using our minds um, to engage with the world around us. But that's not the complete picture. Because the psalmist tells us to look up and to look further than our own human story for our prosperity. He tells us to look to God. And what does he say about who this God is? Well, he starts his psalm, interestingly, not by saying, here are all my problems, but by reminding himself of who God is. He starts his prayer uh, saying, answer me, God of my righteousness. He's reminding himself that God is the one who is just, who is good, and his standards are the right ones. He's the one that we follow and we can listen to because he is good. And when he harks back to Numbers 6, when he uh, reminds uh, himself and reminds uh, those who will later be reading this of that blessing, he reminds us of the enduring promises of God, that he is the one who blessed then, who blesses now, and who will bless in the future. And this is a promise of generations that can be relied upon. As followers of Yahweh, Whatever our human story, whatever's happening on around us, we, step, we can step into this narrative, the narrative of a good and constant God who stands firm, like the ground beneath windswept leaves. And as the psalmist looks to God and asks for his blessing, he also affirms who he is in his own identity. He refers to himself as God's faithful one, um, by which uh, he probably means that uh, he is the one that God loves, but also that he loves God. Um, and we know that if this was written by David, that he was chosen to be uh, king. Uh, he was anointed by, by Samuel uh, when God asked him uh, to do that. And so there's a clear sense that David is, the chosen, is, a, is a chosen one. He is a faithful one to God. But we know from the writings of Paul, um, throughout the whole of the New Testament, we know specifically in Romans 8, uh, Paul tells us that we are all children of God. We are all chosen uh, through Jesus. So in Romans 8, Paul writes, um, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. And so when we look up, when we look beyond our context when we look to seek God's face, we're reminded that we are his children and we are loved and we are held by him. And the psalmist tells us that we receive two things when we do this, when we remind ourselves that we are God's children. 
The first of those is joy. I wonder when you last felt joy. I think we see joy the most in children, um, in uh, the childlike uh, playfulness um, that they have in how they engage with the world. I was at um, a children's camp recently, and uh, we had a slip and slide uh, down the, the hill, which is a, basically a tarpaulin with a lot of washing up liquid on it. Um, it's, it's quite dangerous, but it was fine. Um, and uh, there was a photo taken of that day of uh, a little four-year-old girl who was sliding down on her belly, and like the look of joy and glee in her face was so wonderful. Um, as I said earlier, I am a huge fan of uh, being playful and being silly and uh, being childlike in the way that we engage with the world. Um, and over lockdown, when we had a lot of spare time, my flatmates and I really lent into this and we had lots of like fun themed days. We got really good at building dens. Um, we uh, did treasure hunts, we, did, we made escape rooms in our house. Um, it was so much fun. And uh, being able to embrace joy in that time um, was such a powerful and special thing. When I think of joy in the Bible, the verse that comes to me is that from Nehemiah, where um, he says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Um, and he's saying that to the Israelites who... Um, they have come out of exile, they've come back to Jerusalem, and they're weeping because they have remembered their sins and they've remembered how they've turned from God. But Nehemiah says to them, look up, look up and remember who God is. Remember his goodness, remember his constancy. God gives us his joy, he gives us childlike joy when we remember that we can trust in him for our ultimate salvation and our safety. It's a security that we can be joyful like children who can play because they know that they are safe and they are secure. So that's joy that we are given as God's children. We're also given peace. Um, and if you're familiar with Compline, um, you will recognize this last section of this psalm. Um, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you, Lord, make me to dwell in safety. When I was little, I used to have um, really bad nightmares and I had a very vivid imagination. So any film that I watched or um, ballet story that I was told or any of those things that had some kind of villain in um, would, would stick in my mind. And so I'd wake up in the night sometimes and maybe I'd wake up from a nightmare or I'd wake up needing to go to the loo and I would feel scared because of the darkness that was in the hallway. And so I'd go into my parents' room and I'd wake up my poor dad um, and I would say to him, Daddy, can you listen? Because I wanted him to listen to me as I walked along the hallway. I went to the loo, just in case there were any lurking villains or monsters that had <laughs> come into our house. Um, and that would make me feel safe and that would make me feel peaceful because I knew that should anything happen to me, my dad was listening out um, and uh, he would emerge from the bedroom and fight off, uh, fight off anything that was, that was coming. Um, so as a little girl, I felt safe because my dad was near. And this is the image that I think about when I read this part of the psalm, that as children of God, 
we can have peace because God is near. And we can rest in peace, not because the hard things go away, but because God, the protector God, the unchanging righteous one, the one who has blessed in the past, will bless now and continues to bless in the future, is in control and he is close by. So what does this mean for us? For me, what does this mean for you? In our moments of overwhelm and confusion and anger and exasperation and desperation at our situation, at the world around us. Last week, um, I mentioned earlier that I went to, uh, I went on a holiday camp. I, I went to lead there, um, and I went as a teenager before, and I went, so I went back as a leader last week. And I expected to have a lot of fun. I expected to be very tired, um, and I did have both of those things. Um, but what I didn't expect was to be seriously challenged by the Bible studies that I did uh, with my dorm of teenagers. And so we were looking at Daniel in the sort of pre-run to the the lion scene um, when Daniel and his friends have just been taken from Jerusalem, from their home, they've been taken into Babylon um, where they're forced to drop their Jewish customs, they're forced to stop worshipping or they're the Babylonians attempt to force them to stop worshipping God um, and instead they're to eat, they're to study, they're to speak like the Babylonians and they are asked to bow down before a statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. And in that time, in that first couple of chapters of Daniel, we're not told that Daniel hears anything specifically from God. We're not told that he appears to them in that time, um, although he does later. God is not right in the forefront of the story, but the narrator tells us that he is constant all the way through the background. The narrator tells us that it is God who allows the Babylonians to invade Judah. The narrator tells us that God allows Daniel to interpret dreams and that he causes Nebuchadnezzar's official to look kindly on Daniel. So God is there, he is in control and he is in the background. So to Daniel and his friends, they're in a horrendous situation from their perspective. They're far from home. They've had a rough journey. They're in this foreign land. They're like being stripped of their identity and their sense of um, their sense of orientation, their sense of worth, and forced into a different way of life, which is deeply disorientating, scary, and painful. But Daniel and his friends, they do what this psalmist does. They choose to look up. They choose to remember a God who is righteous, who is worth following, who is constant, who is Father, who seeks to bless. They invite him into that story, and they do still use their own agency, but they choose to do that through relying on God. And so, for me and for us, as we stand in a time that might feel really difficult, who will bring us prosperity? Do I look to policies, to leaders, to science, to the soothing platitudes of influencers' Instagram reels? What if I looked up to God who is beyond my human story, who is good, who is constant, who blesses, who gives joy, and who promises peace? So how are you? I feel overwhelmed and tired and angry and fearful. And like Daniel at the beginning of that story, I'm not sure I can tell you 
what God is doing right now. But today, as I reflect on this psalm, I remind myself to look up, to look to the God who is beyond our story, who is constant and who is righteous, who is there to bless, who calls me child, and under whose watch I can play and I can rest. And so this morning, I invite you also to join with me in following the psalmist, to look to God, despite whatever is happening in our surroundings, and to look to our inheritance of a God who blesses. And so I want to finish by saying number six um, over all of us. The Lord bless ye. The Lord keep ye. The Lord make his face shine on ye and be gracious to ye. The Lord turn his face towards ye. And the Lord give you peace. Amen. Amen.